You're listening to Understanding Disordered Eating with Rachel Heinemann. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and certified eating disorder specialist. On this weekly podcast, we talk about all things psychoanalysis and eating disorder recovery. It's a combination of interviews with experts in psychoanalysis and eating disorders and some solo episodes where it will just be the two of us. The goal of the podcast is to help you try to understand a little bit more about yourself, gain a deeper understanding for why you do the things you do, and bring you one step closer to a healthier relationship with food and yourself. Hey, hey, hey. Episode 118 with Dina Cohn. This is Dina's second time coming on the podcast. She was our very, very, very first guest back uh, two, three years ago. Anyways, before I jump in and talk a little bit about Dina and the conversation that we're going to have today, just a quick reminder, this coming Friday, if you're listening to this on the day of the publication, whatever the thing is called, the podcast episode is dropped, it's going to be Tuesday. And Friday is going to be my first ever solo webinar designed for clinicians, doctors, therapists, PAs, dietitian, psychiatrists, psych NPs, people who want to learn the basics of assessment, early treatment of eating disorders, which is absolutely imperative because if you are treating anybody in the world for anything, and you think that because you don't specialize in eating disorders, it's not going to come knocking at your door. Well, then I don't know how to break this to you, but that's not true. And you need to be ready in order to assess and detect eating disorders as soon as it comes up, because early treatment is the best predictor for somebody to get better. And so if you are given the tools in just a very brief one hour webinar to know exactly what to look for, exactly what to ask and exactly what to do, you have struck gold and you will be doing your clients and the world an incredible service. So the link is going to be in the show notes. It's going to be on my website. You can certainly reach out to me directly. My email, rachel at rachelheineman.com to ask me some questions or whatever it is. If you can't make it live, we're going to be sending out a recording and I'm excited to see you there. All right. Today we are talking about mothers and eating disorders. This conversation, there's so much to say. It it was impossible to say everything in, in just one episode. But the main points of what Dina and I wanted to convey is that when somebody enters parenthood, especially for the first time, but really at any point, it is an incredibly beautiful time and it'll, it is also an incredibly stressful time. So it can do one of two things. For some people, it's really, really motivating to get help or continue staying the course and really continue to feed yourself, et cetera, et cetera. And for some people, it is such a big stressor. It is so overwhelming. It's really enough to send somebody on this spiral downward. So we talk about different types of struggles that mothers and parents go through. We talk about why it's so stressful at certain times. And obviously, most importantly, what you can actually do if you are a mother and have had some sort of history with eating disorder or even live in this world of obsessive diet culture. A little bit about Dina. Dina is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, certified eating disorder specialist and consultant. So she does supervision or previously known as supervision now consulting for the IADEP supervision for the certified eating disorder specialist. And she specializes in pediatric nutrition, the treatment of eating disorders. 
in her practice, Eat Well Soon, which is located in Lakewood, New Jersey. She works with kids, individuals, families with developing positive relationships with food. And Dina does a ton of prevention in the community with high schools, pediatrician offices, I mean, really all schools, mental health clinics, talking about awareness of eating disorders and also prevention. So a lot of body image workshops, et cetera, et cetera. Dina is not just any old RD in New Jersey treating eating disorders. She is one of my A, favorite RDs in New Jersey in anywhere treating eating disorders. But she has become really a pillar of the prevention and awareness community. And really, anytime I want to run an idea by her or I'm just pissed off about how the world is running, literally, you know, is my go-to. And I'm maybe a little embarrassed slash not so embarrassed about how many voice notes I send. And I hate voice notes. And I do voice notes with Dina. Dina and I are both mothers. So we're coming at this from a very personal place. And we both treat eating disorders. So we're coming at this from a professional place. And now here is my conversation with Dina. Welcome back, Dina. I'm very excited to do this. Good to be back. It's been a minute. I mean, we talk all the time, but it's been a minute where we shared our conversation. So I'm excited to do this. And I'm really excited to talk about what we're talking about today because so many people can relate to this. We're talking about eating disorders or just relationship with food and moms. So being in this role of being a mother and how does all of that potentially impact someone's relationship with food whether it's new or ongoing. So this is important. The thing that really stands out to me the most, uh, I don't know if you remember, there was this like YouTube thing going on like a while ago for Mother's Day. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where it's like, you're interviewing for a job and oh, it's 24 yeah, hours yeah, a sure. day. And then at the end, they're like, and you get paid nothing and you have no time off and all that stuff. And then people are like, why would I take this? And then at the end, it was like, that's your mother. So I think that that sort of like really sums up a mother's role. It's you never have a day off. You never have a break. And sometimes it feels like a thinkless job. I love that video. I think I wanted to hug the screen. It was so validating. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like they say, you know, it's the toughest job you'll ever love. Mm -hmm. There are lots of moments. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say it's thankless. It's definitely not thankless, but I think sometimes you have to do the thinking because the kids mm -hmm. are not always going to do the thinking. So you have to take a step back and be like, wow, that was a really hard day. And I'm so proud of how well I did because yeah. you're not necessarily going to hear that from the kids. No, for sure not. And people say, you know, that's why kids were made so cute because that would, that's the only thing that makes it bearable. But I think that there are these moments of connection and like real love family moments that, you know, who needs the thank you when you have those kinds of moments? It's really what we live for. This is our family. This is the family we're growing. This is ultimately the most important relationships we'll have in our lives. So it could be very meaningful. But I think when we get into the rut of parenting, that's when things can get really tricky because there's, you have to make lunch and snack. You have to get the kids out the door. You have to deal with I mean, tantrums and then kids saying no, I, the list can go on and on and on. And it's a lot of stress. It's a lot of responsibility. Yeah, it is. And I think that parenthood can really be like a mixed bag when it comes to recovery, because those moments that you describe when you're like, oh, wow, this is it. This is why I'm here. This is what I'm living <laughs> for. Those are big. They really are. And, you know, before someone's a parent, it's 
you know, it's not really something you can explain until you're in it. For sure. I think it could be similar to any relationship, really, where you feel unconditional love for someone and you feel like they have unconditional love for you. I think that in recovery, that can be extremely meaningful. And, you know, for somebody who feels like they need their eating disorder in order to be worthy of love, it can be extremely healing to be in that family setting where, you know, you can just walk into the room and somebody smiles just because you're there and you feel like Mm -hmm. they don't care how many carbs you eat that day or what you look like. They're just happy that you exist. So I think being a parent and you're being in that kind of unconditional love setting can be extremely healing. And I think parenthood can also be very motivating for people because they recognize that they don't want to pass down their eating disorder habits and beliefs and behaviors. And it can really spur people on to recovery because they recognize that they don't want to miss out on those moments because they're so busy being involved with their eating disorder and they don't want that for their children. So it can really be a catalyst for recovery. But those stresses that you describe are very real. And I don't want to generalize here, but there definitely is, I don't know if I want to use the word stereotype, but there there definitely is a commonality in a lot of people who have particularly restrictive eating disorders where they're type A and they like to know what the plan is and they like... Nobody knows what you're talking about, Dina. This is just you. (laughs) super common in the world of dietetics, I can definitely identify with this group. Like we love our plans. We love our meal plans. We love, you know, knowing Mm -hmm. what the schedule is. The schedule. I love that one. The schedule. (laughs) Yeah. My favorite thing. And then parenthood, it kind of, it's like the whomping willow in Harry Potter. It just takes Mm -hmm. your schedule. I'm like, bam, there goes the schedule. And there's a lot of unpredictability and you need a lot of flexibility in order to manage parenthood. And this, it can be a lot. It can be a lot for someone with that personality type and specifically somebody with an eating disorder who's used to really tightly regulating things to suddenly Mm -hmm. have like all your plans just like put into a big old blender. Yeah. It's hard. I think what we can add to that also is that somebody might be kind of accustomed to stressing about their own food. But now when you're a mom, you have to worry about your kids' food and yeah. are they eating healthy enough? And oh no, they didn't like the balanced meal that I prepared and they only want the snack that comes out of a package. What do I do? And what's my child's body turning out to be like? You know, is this what I wanted? Is this what I expected? Is this what I'm comfortable with? So that can really, you know, expand the stress a lot too. So because we know that eating disorders often crop up or become more important to someone when life, life feels stressful and out of control, parenthood, I think, can definitely cause a resurgence of an eating disorder that was previously, you know, kind of resolved. Um, or sometimes it can even be the start of a new eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm also thinking about, you know, the whole process of pregnancy, postpartum, And, you know, some people are, you know, they're really appreciative of their bodies after pregnancy and and labor and delivery. And they're like, wow, this is incredible. But there are, I mean, I don't want to say most because I've never taken a poll, but like lots of women are like, uh, this is what my body looks like. And especially after having a few kids when their body doesn't look the same and probably never will look the same as it did before having kids. There's so much of this, how do I get used to this new body? How do I accept myself? And I'm larger than I want to be, larger than I've ever been. 
So along with all the stressors that come with being a parent, there's also these body changes. And for some people, it's the body that they've feared for their entire life up until now. Yeah. I think it's kind of the same as parenthood in the sense that there are some people who will be like, I'm growing a person and this is amazing and this is miraculous and I just want to feed this person. And it's, it becomes more motivating to recover. Mm-hmm. And then there are those who maybe have achieved a level of recovery before, but then I'm supposed to be gaining weight, but okay, I'm just going to gain the bare minimum. And how can I control and track everything to make sure that I'm not gaining too much and it can really spark things up again. And then in terms of postpartum, I think postpartum is harder. I think it, it's easier yeah. to feel motivated to eat well during pregnancy because maybe there's that like worry, no, am I harming my baby through my restriction? I want to make sure the baby gets enough. But once that baby's out and you're left with the body, that can be extremely challenging, especially because parenting really, you know, turns your sense of control upside down. People can feel like, well, at least I can control this body and I can bounce Mm -hmm. back and I can make sure that at least I look the way I want to look, even if I don't feel the way I want to feel, or even if I can't control things around me. So that is definitely a very vulnerable time. And I think that anybody with a history of an eating disorder should make sure that they set up some support proactively. Even if they think they're doing fine, it's a good idea to check in with a therapist, eating disorder dietitian, just proactively. Worst comes to worst, you'll have nothing to say. And you'll say, oh, everything's amazing. I just set this up as part of my postpartum plan. Yeah, that's very smart. Uh, I like the insurance plan. But even thinking about- We love plans, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, we love plans. Now, I'm just thinking about the schedule before when you said this schedule is really important to a lot of us. And it's to a certain extent, it's very necessary, especially when we're talking about meal planning and having enough time if a mom works. Also, there's so much to navigate. You have to be organized or you have to be semi-organized. But also thinking about it from the perspective of kids they need that organization and they thrive on the organization. And we need to know as parents that there is a certain level of structure that is imperative to our survival almost for ourselves and for our kids. So when we take that and then we take it to the nth degree, that's where it gets tricky. I, I would just, I guess what I'm saying is I want to reiterate, it's not about don't be type A, don't be structured. I think that that is a really big and important piece to being a parent. And often people feel extremely overwhelmed when they can't put any sort of schedule or organization together. That's important. Oh, absolutely. Kids need the plan for the sense of stability in their lives and the sense of safety in their lives. And it also helps you get a lot done. You know, Mm -hmm. I have no shame in my personality type. I think it's fabulous, (laughs) but but it definitely, you know, it definitely comes with its challenges, just like any personality type. If I was totally spontaneous, I think that would be amazing in some ways, but like, I don't know, we might not have groceries in the house. So it's about recognizing yourself and learning where your tough spots are and how to work around them. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. At the same time though, it's essential as a parent, well, really as a human, but as a parent to be able to have that flexibility. And I I taught this to my kids in a little song. I think I was inspired by Daniel Tiger where they have these like little one-line songs (laughs) that teach these important life lessons. And here's the song. (laughs) You can see my amazing talents. Sometimes things change and then we get used to it. I'm not going to sing it, but those are the words. Sometimes things change and then we get used to it. No big deal. We have to expect that things are going to change. I think Mm -hmm. I taught this to one of my kids when she was three and we still bring it up sometimes. 
this is my week. One of my kids was sick and was home almost every day this week. And today she went back to play group and her sister is sick at home right now, coloring in another room. It wasn't my plan for the day. You know, it's rough, but it's part of a functioning house to be able to go with the flow. Mm-hmm. And if that's something that's challenging for someone, it's going to be important to be able to change the schedule without losing yourself. Mm-hmm. And as that relates to recovery and food, if you had a certain plan for how your child's body would look or what kind of eater they would be or you know what the food environments would be in your house, it's critical to be able to let go of that because the little people in your house might have different taste buds, you know, might not have your genetics. They might have your partner's genetics. You can't predict these things. And if someone's still hung up on their eating disorder behaviors and they're still stuck in those, it's going to be so, so hard to manage that practically, emotionally, because it's not just about you anymore. It's about the other people in your house who you really can't and shouldn't be controlling. So being yeah, able yeah. to adopt that sometimes things change and then we get used to it or sometimes things don't come out the way that we planned how am i going to be okay with that that's a very important recovery skill that that's going to be important to adopt and internalize and you probably know this better than i do but there's something called set shifting they did research on people with anorexia and set shifting that's it's basically being able to go with the flow and change the plan so i think they had the subject play a video game and then they change the rules in middle and the control group was just like oh there are new rules now we play with the new rules and the individuals with anorexia were like wait there are new rules oh my goodness and then they just kind of froze mm-hmm. it goes along with a specific personality type having trouble adjusting when the rules change and that's why doing recovery work is so important not just for healing from your eating disorder, but it's so important because it's just going to help you navigate life, including parenthood, better. Sometimes the rules change and then we get used to it. So what I tell my clients is that recovery from an eating disorder is so, so hard, but you're really getting your bang for your buck because it's going to make other things in your life easier and better. Yeah. I'm also thinking about somebody who's coming in and hearing this idea of, you know, let some things go. Let's be a little bit more flexible. And the ideas sound wonderful. But for somebody who gets such intense anxiety from the rules changing or from, you know, kids being sick and not being able to do anything for the week, you know, it's it's sort of hard to take that idea and then change it. So one thing that I think is really useful, and I don't know, maybe this is just leaning into the type A-ness or maybe not, but I've found it pretty helpful is that beforehand, before the crisis happens, think about how you can be flexible in upcoming situations. So for example, kids being sick, we know that, you know, come October time, like the next few months are going to be brutal. Someone's going to be home. You're not going to be able to work. You're not going to be able to make dinner. You're not going to be able to work out whatever you typically do. I don't know. You might not be able to brush your teeth. So, you know, something as basic as that. So the idea is, if you know that that's going to happen or something is going to go wrong, you don't necessarily have to predict exactly what it is. How do you make room for that? How do you say, I am going to give myself the leeway going into this winter of, I need to be able to have a couple of weeks that I will take off because I will need to, or have some sort of plan for you know whenever the kids are home. Or if the kids don't like dinner, like it's going to happen. They're going to not do what you want. 
They're not going to follow exactly your plan. And what are you going to do? So even thinking about it in advance, preparing yourself for not specific situations, but the idea that they won't do it in the way that you want to could help prepare your own self and the intense anxiety that might come along to sort of bring it down. Like, okay, I know this isn't what I want, but I, I factored in here. Do you see what you did there, Rachel? What did I you do? took your planning superpower and you made a plan B. Well, so that's the reason why I was like, I don't know if this is actually leaning into it. it am I am I being more of a planner? You're utilizing your superpower. It's great to have a plan <laughs> B. It's like, okay, it's what, what you're, you're doing is you're giving yourself that emotional prep that the plans mm-hmm. are going to change. But yeah, I don't think it's a bad idea to have a backup. I think this is a great personality to have. <laughs> Type A with a type B backup. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. But at the same time, this is something that I do. It's just recognizing that it's hard for me. It's like, wow, okay, the plans for today just changed. This is hard for me. This is stressful. It's not my favorite thing when plans change. And just Mm -hmm. to give myself some space to be stressed about it and then move on. Because if I try to ignore my personality and be like, oh, that's okay. Everything just got turned upside down. The stress is going to come out somewhere else in my day. So for me, it's better if I just like let that stress out, get it out of my system, just be annoyed that the plans change. And then I'm sort of like freed up to go with it. Yeah. Yeah. I think also along with the plan B is that this is something that I've had to learn and I continue to learn this every single day. Kids are on a different wavelength. They do things at a different pace. They do things just in a completely different way than an adult. And to expect them to get out the door in a timely fashion or to, you know, get into the bath and in a timely fashion or to eat dinner or whatever it is in the way that we expect it to be done for even an older kid, but for sure an adult, it's just not going to happen. So some of this is managing expectations of not things going wrong, but this is normal when kids take forever to do something or, you know, these frustrating moments unfortunately are normal. So managing expectations of what motherhood will actually look like. But this sort of leads me to something I'm thinking about that people talk about, okay, so you don't really have time for yourself as a mother. Your entire life is turned upside down. The second you have kids, you're, you know, gone is the life before kids. And now you're creating a whole new life, but it's so much more meaningful, blah, blah, blah. And it's very hard to come into your day, your week, your life now saying, that's it. For the next 20 years, I don't have a moment to myself. Because A, that's not so feasible, but also that's kind of depressing. No, you have to make the moments for yourself. You have to. It's that whole like empty cup, oxygen mask, all those cliches that I don't even like want to say, but they're really (laughs) true. You have to make those moments for for yourself. It's definitely true that kids are just like on a different timeline. Starting from when they're newborn, you know, Mm -hmm. they just want to eat at the most inconvenient times. Their sleep schedule does not take into account your sleep schedule. Like all of that is true. What sleep schedule? And therefore, yeah, (laughs) therefore, that's why you have to make the time for yourself. Right. Because it's just, this is important whether or not you have kids, whether you live in a family or you live alone alone, you have to take care of yourself to be a happy, Mm -hmm. healthy person. But even more so when you have little people depending on you, you know, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, you have to make the time for yourself because otherwise it's not just you who's going to suffer. Everybody's going to suffer. So it might be more challenging, right? You know, you have to take other things into consideration, but you, you must, must, must carve out that time for that self-care. And this is another reason 
why eating disorders can potentially grow and thrive in motherhood because it can become easy for disordered eating habits to just kind of look like being a mother. Like, oh, I had no time for breakfast. I just had to do carpool. Oh no, I couldn't have lunch because during my lunch break, I had to do this and that thing for my kid. Or, you know, I had a bunch of errands to do. So like lunch didn't really happen. I just grabbed a coffee and, oh, I couldn't sit down and eat dinner. I was too busy feeding the kids. Some of it can even start really unintentionally where somebody just lapses into neglecting themselves and then maybe recognizes that they're losing weight, but doesn't really take any steps to correct that because maybe they don't mind that they lost weight. So Mm -hmm. it can kind of go undercover to other people and maybe even to the individual because it might not be the eating disorder that they're familiar with from their past where it was more intentional. This is sort of like an eating disorder by neglect. Mm-hmm. And it can go on for a while before somebody can actually like take an honest look at what's going on and decide to reach out for help. Yeah, I think, well, that's part of the thing where they're not sad about how their body looks. And so that's <laughs> why would I do anything if I'm not sad about it? But you're right. There is so much more intention that goes along with feeding yourself as a mother when all of these things are really real. It's I don't think that there are excuses. I don't have time for lunch you know, I'm feeding my kids for dinner and all of these. I don't, again, like I don't want to say excuses, they're real life, but also it doesn't matter because if you're hungry, then you can't take care of your family. I mean, this is something I'm almost like hesitant to say it because I have mixed feelings, but people say, oh, you wouldn't put coffee in your kid's bottle and say, that's your breakfast. And, but that's what you do for yourself. And so if someone can like logically understand that. Yeah, I would never do that for my kids, but for myself, I'm different. But that's not necessarily true. Maybe, obviously, you're different than your kid. But in terms of needing breakfast, everybody needs to eat breakfast. And so even when real life gets in the way and they're very valid excuses, we still have to deliberately sit and eat. And sometimes that's the hardest thing to do because you might actually be taking time away from doing something else or a kid might be screaming in the next room or you might have errands to do. So this is also where maybe pre-planning might come in handy, but it's yes. also really important <laughs> just to do it. So Yafi Lavova, our dietitian friend in Arizona, she actually, I don't know if she still has this, but she had a meal planning boot camp for moms because uh-huh. it could be hard. It really could mm-hmm. be hard to prepare all those, to plan and prepare all those meals for their not only for the family, but for yourself. This is not for people who necessarily have an eating disorder, history of an eating disorder. This is just like how to function best as a mother. Because yeah. sometimes if you if you don't plan, it's just not going to happen. But like you said, it can be easier to neglect yourself when you're the mother because motherhood can be extremely exhausting. And the kids need lunch. Most mothers are going to prepare those meals for their kids. But as time and energy drains away, a lot of Mothers feel like, okay, for myself, I'll just figure it out. I just don't have the time, patience, headspace, energy to make that lunch for myself. I'll just wing it. I'll just figure it out. Mm-hmm. It's not great for anyone because every mom deserves a lunch, but specifically for women with a history of an eating disorder, again, you got to be proactive and that lunch has to be planned. And what, what I recommend to many of my clients is, you know, however many children you have, if you have two children, you are child number three. When you Mm -hmm. make those two lunches, you make that third lunch for yourself. Yeah. Or the other thing that I find helpful personally is that there's probably going to be more often than not that I'm not preparing my own lunch the night before. 
And so when it comes to lunch, I'm hungry and I just want to eat. So I have so many prepared kinds of foods like, you know, bread and cheese or those like for snacks. I love those prepackaged guacamoles or mm-hmm. things like that, that you literally just grab it from the fridge. They're like, there's prepared tuna and egg salad and things. You just go to the grocery, you grab it, you take it with like some, a couple pieces of bread and that's your lunch. And that's the end of the story. It doesn't have to be gourmet, it just has to nourish you. So having these prepackaged things, yes, some of them are from packages, but you got to nourish yourself. Number one is you got to just have the food inside. I think also something that people that's really useful is using delivery services and not necessarily like, you know, ordering in for lunch, but just for groceries and things like that. If you really don't have time and maybe previous you would be horrified at all the delivery fees and, oh my gosh, this is so indulgent. And, you know, if we're going to do the comparison in sort of metaphor kind of world, it's it's so bingy. It's so luxurious. I need to sort of cut back and, and quote, restrict, not spend that money. But it's really, really important to spend it if it's going to make the difference between you eating and not eating and also challenging that quote restrictive mindset of I need to save, I need to save, I need to save. Sometimes you got to spend. And I mean that in terms of eating money and really in in time in every way. Yeah. And taking care of yourself and treating yourself like a person. I think that's so interesting because, you know, the part of what can come along with that type A personality is a nice, dose of perfectionism, right? I have to do everything right. Mm -hmm. And I have to parent right. And I have to make food from scratch and buy from the right places and spend enough money, but not spend too much money. And yes, like you said, why should I do delivery? If technically I can go out and get it myself. And I think a lot of what makes parents sort of functional is actually lowering some of the standards. And I I joke to my husband, like every time I think I I lowered the standards so much that the bar is like on the floor, I can always say, oh, well, I guess I didn't lower it enough. There's still more ways to lower the bar. But delivery is fantastic. But delivery, it saves time, it saves energy. And that time and energy can be spent very well in other places. So I love what you describe about having that that fridge stocked with appetizing, ready-to-go items. It's treating yourself nicely and remembering that you're also a member of the family and considering your own needs when you're considering what to have in the fridge. Mm-hmm. This is also something sort of alluding to what you were saying before in terms of feeding your kids. So yes, feeding yourself is important, but going back to feeding your kids, sometimes we have these hangups of, I want my kids to be nourished well. I want them to have you know foods with lots of nutrients and things like that, whole balanced meal. And sometimes, maybe all the time when you have lots of kids running around, it's really hard to do that. And Maybe the idea of getting dinner on the table is chicken nuggets and fries, like just sticking it in the oven and that's dinner. And the fact that you have something on the table for your kids or or sandwiches or whatever you have going and buying pizza, whatever you have that, that your kids actually have something to eat is a win. And people are like, oh, but that's so not quote healthy for my kids. And we're not arguing that it's going to be the same exact thing as a different dinner that you might cook, but let's sort of look at this holistically or generally. The idea is to get food on the table. And every day that you do that is, I think we need standing ovation. Rachel, I have <laughs> I have menus on my computer from when my, my oldest are babies. My oldest are twins. And I had these weekly and monthly menus that I would type up with the beautifully <laughs> balanced meals. And I remember like traveling with my twins when they were nine months old with their little containers of like cut up, tofu and just for contrast last week 
I took my one and a half year old to a coffee shop with me and, you know, we shared a muffin. Times have changed. Times have really changed. I've Mm -hmm. dropped a lot of bars, but it's about zooming out and thinking what is healthy for this family in the larger scheme of things. Mm -hmm. So now one of my daughters who shares my personality actually plans our weekly menus. She plans our dinner menus. She goes through recipes. (laughs) It's the cutest thing. And she writes up our menus and are all of her ideas things that I necessarily would have chosen? No, you know, pizza is pretty heavily featured, but she comes home excited and she tastes the dinner. And for me in my family right now, that is the happiest, most functional way to be approaching food. It's convenient for me too, (laughs) because it saves me a mental load. But it's really about zooming out and thinking about what's healthy for this family, trying to force feed your kids things that don't that they don't like just because you think it's healthy and balanced. That's not necessarily what's good for the overall health of the family. Yeah. And I'm thinking about food. I mean, obviously, its primary function is to nourish and to give kids energy to grow. But there are also so many other functions that food serves. And one of them is connection. So if we're all sitting around the table or maybe not in a calm, this is a family meal sort of way, but in a just, this is a dinner-ish time and everyone's around, food has the capacity to really connect. And maybe this is a plug Yafi podcast episode, but she's also very into including food preparation, including kids in food preparation from very, very young, which means that they get involved in the process, sort of what you're alluding to with your daughter who makes the menu so she's a little older, but you can do this with really, really young kids. And once you involve kids in the food process, I'm not saying to do this all the time. I'm not saying that this is a mandatory thing, but just sort of giving an example of how food can become a fun connecting activity. So, you know, instead of being like, well, cookies are bad for you. Well, making cookies together can actually be a really wonderful tool and build beautiful memories for your kids and, you know, even just regular dinners. How do kids remember dinners? Do they remember you being stressed? They're not eating this kind of thing. Or do they remember you asking about their day and sitting down and actually being present with them? Not sitting down. No, God forbid sitting down, but just sort of like being present with them, not losing your cool. Obviously we all do that, but just sort of the overall vibe that you have. And if you think about it that way, then there is so much less pressure for your kids to eat a very specific way. Yeah. And they can tell when food is a stress for you and they can tell when you're not eating with them and why is everybody having ice cream and mommy's not having ice cream. That's again, one of the reasons why I think that that parenthood can be a catalyst for somebody's recovery because it can really highlight your own eating disorder habits if you still have them. And once kids start noticing and questioning, it can, you know, it can kind of push someone to take a good look in the mirror and ask themselves, is this something that I want to be passing on? You know, is is how I feel about my body and maybe my reluctance to get into a bathing suit. Is that something that I want to be passing on to my kids? Do I want them to experience the level of stress that I experience around food? And what I've noticed is that sometimes people can kind of push it aside until maybe they have a a daughter entering puberty, Mm -hmm. you know, and their body starts to change. And then that can bring back a whole flood of memories or triggers to the mom. And then, you know, she realizes that if she wants to pass on a healthy attitude to her daughter during that transition, she has to deal with her own stuff. And I've seen that in a number of clients and 
it's very heartwarming. It's very inspiring to see people do hard things because they want their daughters to have a better future than they have the opportunity to have, you know, at that, at that age. And I, I think it can be, it can be really wonderful and healthy for both of them. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm thinking about the other side of this now for a second in that, mm-hmm. you know, how many teenagers come to, you know, have a struggle with their food and then mom really, really wants them to get better or just develop a healthy relationship with food, but they're still encouraging them to, you know, but you look beautiful. Don't gain another ounce. Don't lose another ounce. And, you know, things like that maybe are meant to be very supportive, but underneath it, kids here between the lines. And what that means is I I can't change. I I can't let go of this type A control over food. And so part of this is so, so tricky because while we're talking about this and thinking about it, most of the messages that kids are going to pick up are not the ones that you're actually sharing with your words. It's what they're seeing and how they see you in front of the mirror and your food and how stressed you get about their food and all that, that you don't ever say. Yeah. Yeah. And I've definitely had that experience with clients where, you know, parents want their kids to recover, but like, just like, make sure you recover just enough. Yeah. (laughs) Not too much, just enough. It's hard. It's very, very hard. And unfortunately, it's also a reflection of what's going on in the wider world, not just in that particular client's home. Mm -hmm. It's really rough. I think I I prefer to focus on the happier stories because I do think that since I've started practicing, they are becoming more common. And I am having parents more frequently say to me, like, I I really just want my kids to be happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think what's also really interesting when becoming a mother, and this is something that I'm, I'm sort of thinking of so many different people's stories and my own, is that it really, it completely shifts your outlook on your relationship with your own mother. And that could also be incredibly healing. And, you know, in certain ways, like we all went through puberty and we're all like, wow, blah, 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 towards your mother in puberty. And then once you have kids, things, you just, there's a different focus. And so besides for, it could be healing in your relationship with food. If you think about things in this specific way, it could be healing with your other family relationship, specifically with your mother which I think can be so, so valuable. I'm not saying this is for everyone, but you know, looking at this from, from the happy story perspective, it can be very powerful in that way too. Well, I think parenthood makes you a lot more forgiving of your parents. It's like, yeah. it's hard to be a mom. It's hard to always know the right thing to do and say. Like, you don't yeah. go to training school for this. You figure it out on the job. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, definitely. And I think also what we're fortunate about in this generation is there's just a lot more openness about talking about bodies and, you know, maybe even sharing food experiences and letting kids into the kitchen. I feel very grateful to, you know, despite the fact that we do live in a world that has a lot of toxic messaging, there's a lot of good in this generation too. And I think in some ways we have it harder than our mothers did, but in other ways we have it easier too. Yeah. What I'm hoping for from this conversation, for people listening, obviously there are so many different tidbits that we were talking about, but thinking about how if you zoom out enough, obviously getting help, but if you zoom out enough, there are so many different ways to look at someone's situation that when we're struggling, it's very narrow-minded. The walls are caving in. This is horrible. But there are so many different ways to look at life, look at your relationship with food and your kids to perhaps start to change things. So I'm hoping that at least we expand as people's perspective or the idea that there are additional perspectives 
because, you know, if somebody's struggling with their relationship with food while being a mom at any stage, it's, I mean, it's, it's devastating. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what I'm hoping that people can get out of this conversation is that motherhood can be a time when it's actually easier to heal because your motivations might be different and because you can see how life is so much bigger than the eating disorder at the same time, acknowledging that motherhood might be really, really hard for you. And Mm -hmm. that it's no surprise that you would be triggered watching your kids grow up. It's no surprise that you want a sense of control when parenthood brings an extreme sense of, you know, loss of control. So it's so understandable why you might be triggered back into an eating disorder or to an eating disorder in the first place, but that also it can be an extremely meaningful time in your life to recover and that there is Mm -hmm. help available. There's help specifically for mothers. There are treatment programs that can kind of work around your schedule as a mother. I have clients in, in very successful virtual treatment programs that they can participate in when their kids are in school and they can still be home with the family at night. So I would love for people to not feel like they need to hide the fact that they're struggling because recovery is absolutely possible and it can be incredibly rewarding during motherhood. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Before I let you go, can you share with our listeners where they can find you? Yeah, sure. My website is eatwellsoonrd. And I am not on social media, but my contact info is on the website. and happy to answer any questions whether you're a mom or not. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much again. Okay. My pleasure. You made it to the end. Thank you for listening. Every single one of your downloads means so much to me. If this conversation is leaving you wanting more, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. You'll have the opportunity to reply back directly to me over there. Can't wait to see you in your inbox.